Amen. Thank you. You know, yesterday at lunch, I um, just the name that came to my mind, I sat by a very special young lady. Is Samantha in here this morning? Samantha? Samantha, come here. Let me give you this book right here. So. I don't, hey, I don't get a hug? All right, good, 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 good. Because I saw you hugging people yesterday. Um, you know, this morning I wrote down in, in my prayer book, first sentence, it says, I have thoroughly enjoyed being with the students at Prairie Bible College during their Christian Life Week this week. And then I went, oh, that is not right. That is so wrong. And I went back. I had misspelled thoroughly, so I had to go change that. And <laughs> I left out an O. And I really have enjoyed it. And thank you so much. If, if I, I, you know, I've been in my prayers that I might somehow through the Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit bless you. But you have blessed me far more than I even hoped I could ever bless you. So thank you very, very much. How many of you ever have ministered to children? Let's say under 13. Anybody raise your hands? Okay. This, this picture right here, this is, this is Claremont Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And there was a lady there, retired lady, lady Miss Eddings. And Miss Eddings taught sixth grade Sunday school boys. She taught 11-year-old boys. Now, one of these 11-year-old boys was named David Cowan. He's here on the left, and he was my college roommate. He prayed to receive Christ in Miss Edding's Sunday school class and was a dynamic and is a dynamic follower of Jesus Christ. He and I became roommates, and we went to a college in Atlanta uh, called Georgia Tech, and he began to share the gospel with me. Now, I came, I come from a dysfunctional, unchurched, non-Christian background. I was telling President Mark a couple days ago of my 20 closest family. I may have, some of you may have been around when I was told this. Four grandparents, two parents. <laughs> you, you know, I've learned this. If your parents never had any children, you never will either. But four grandparents, two parents, one sibling, three uncles, three aunts, seven cousins. I think it's about 20. And four in mental health hospitals, four alcoholics, one crystal meth addict living on the streets of Las Vegas, uh, two suicides. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. A, a messed up family. And so David began to share the gospel with me. And here's, here's a picture of my Bible when I prayed to receive Christ, March 24th, 1974, as a freshman in college. Now, David was not with me when I accepted Christ. He, he was, uh, John chapter 4, verse 34-ish, says something, Some sow, others reap. You, um, you have reaped that for which you have not sown. And I went up to this Iowa State University representing my alma mater, some kind of conference, I don't even remember what it was, and a charismatic Lutheran pastoring a Methodist church as a student at Iowa State University asked me one question, had I ever made Jesus Christ Lord of my life? And that one question made all that David had been sharing with me make perfect sense. And so at 2 o'clock in the morning, 20 degrees below zero, which you're kind of used to that bit in the south where I'm from, I mean, it was, it was brutal. 
But my heart was strangely warm that night. The next morning, I had to leave to go back, drive back to Atlanta. He met me, the, the little group of us. It was early, early in the morning, like 5.30, and he asked me this question. He said, do you still feel different? And I looked at him and I said, look, this is really profound coming from a brand new Christian. I said, I don't know whether I feel different, but I can tell you the absolute truth. I know I'm different. And I've never turned back. Well, at the end of my college career, I went like on one of the world treks except it was just a summer, and I was chosen to be an exchange student in the Soviet Union. This is when it was communist. And so there were 11 of us, and this young man, pardon the picture, <laughs> I should have colored magic marker over, make a shirt for me. And um, <laughs> so <clears throat> there was this young guy, and we had to prepare for a whole semester before we went because it was just a lot of, it's, it's like going to a Muslim culture today sharing the gospel, going to these communist countries back then, especially where we were in Moscow. And so there's this one of the 11, I would notice him sleeping in the library every Monday afternoon. We had our orientation meetings every Monday night. So I walked up to him and I said, you know, why are you always sleeping on the uh, couch here in the library before our meetings? And he said, well, I'm still living at home. We live in Atlanta. And so to save money, I live at home and I drive back and forth to classes. I said, why don't you start staying with me in my apartment because I was over one of the dormitories responsible for making sure they didn't burn the place down. And I said, why don't you stay with me? We'll eat dinner. We'll go to the meeting. Then you can go home. So we started doing that. And after a few weeks, we're at Zesto's eating hamburgers on Ponce de Leon. And I had a big bite of hamburger in my mouth. And he looked at me and says, you're not Catholic, are you? I said, mm-mm. And he said, I could, I thought so because I come from a Catholic background and we never talk about God in my family and you always talk about God. I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he looked out the window. I remember we were sitting in the front seat of my car. He looked out the window and he said, you know, the hardest thing, I found the hardest thing in life is to have a relationship with God. I swallowed my bite whole. I mean, just went straight down. I said, may we talk about this afterwards tonight? Now, at that point, we hadn't come up with the one-verse method, you know, sharing the gospel using John 3.16. I had about the hundred-verse method, right? So I laid everything on him I possibly knew as a brand-new Christian and asked him, do you see anything keeping you from coming to Christ right now? He said, well, you know, I'm not quite ready. Well, he drove home, called me at 2 o'clock in the morning in his yellow Volkswagen, woke me up, and he said, Bill, I've just invited Christ to come into my heart. So now... We start this discipling process. Had no clue what I was doing, but I was trying my best. We end up in the Soviet Union. One morning, Sunday morning, I said, John, we haven't been to church in weeks. Let's sneak out and go to church. Now, we weren't supposed to go anywhere without our chaperones. They were part of the communist government. And he said, they will throw us in the gulag. I said, no, we're Americans. At worst, they'll kick us out of the country and we'll flunk our courses. But, hey, let's go to church. <laughs> so <clears throat> he said, all right, I'm with you. So I had the address to the Central Baptist Church that Billy Graham had visited when he preached in Moscow. We went to the subways. We matched the double letters. And we come out to a place in the city. We hail a taxi cab driver. And in Russian, I went, 
And he said, duh. So he takes us, takes us to the church. He sees it's a church. He stops about a block away. And this is Russian for get out of my car. And so we go in there. The place is packed. They were sitting. The windows were very low. They were sitting on the windowsills. They were standing in the aisles. Every chair, every pew was packed. The balcony was packed. Everyone in there had stark white hair except for three of us. John, myself, and a 31-year-old atheist named Eugene Grossman. And he was, he was a lifelong atheist. It was his fourth visit to church, and he spoke fluent English. So he's young, we're young. He gravitates to us. He translates all eight messages. So I'm just getting warmed up this morning, so get, get ready. Um, got off to a bad start misspelling thoroughly, but it's, it's been good ever since. So <clears throat> we take him back to our little room, and all that night, John shares the gospel with him. And so about midnight, I like to go to bed fairly early, and about midnight, and this is late for me, even as a college student, filled with the Holy Spirit, I looked at Mark well, it's Mark Makaroff uh, is his radio name. I'm getting ahead of myself. Looked at Eugene Grossman. Phil with the Spirit, and I go, look, are you going to go, are you going to come to Christ or not? I'm tired, and I want to go to bed. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I'm just not ready. I said, that's fine. Let me pray for you. I prayed for him. He left, thought we'd never see each other again. Months later, beginning in January, we started getting letters like this one. And basically what they said was, dear Bill and John, two miracles have taken place. Number one, Two weeks after you left, I repented. In Eastern Europe, in the former Soviet Union, they will tend to talk about coming to Christ in terms of, I repented. He said, the second miracle, because I'm of Jewish descent, Grossman, that's a, a German-Jewish name. Uh, they had uh, immigrated to Russia when there were some hard times going on in Germany. And so he said, uh, I'm writing, because I'm of Jewish descent, Brezhnev, who is the president there in uh, the Soviet Union at the time, has given all these Jewish folks exit visas. I'm writing from Rome on my way to New York. And I have repented. When he got to New York, the Slavic Gospel Association, a mission agency, picked him up, educated him at another school. I won't give you their name because I'd rather you come to CIU when you graduate from here. And they educated him in communications and he had, in the 1980s, he had three evangelistic radio broadcasts beamed out of Western Europe into Eastern Europe. And Peter Dynica, the head of Slavic Gospel Association, told a friend of mine who told me that 5 to 15 million Soviets and Eastern Europeans heard the gospel of Jesus Christ every single week. Well then, praise the Lord. I mean, God is good. God, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Slava Bogo. Now you've heard all my Russian. All right. Let's praise the Lord. So I do have a little bit more, but um, <clears throat> I won't overwhelm you this morning. So then I told this story. That this, these fellows here in this picture, I told this story in a Bible college in Kishino, Moldova, which is a former republic of the Soviet Union. And as I told it, I've been overseas. I go overseas a lot. And so and I'll often preach through um, interpreters because my linguistic Skills are minimal. And so I'd finish this story about Eugene Grossman and the interpreter, the guy on the right, he was the dean of the school, he kept talking. Now, 
If you've ever been overseas being translated as you're speaking and the guy keeps talking, you know you've messed up somewhere. And he's trying to clean it up. So I'm waiting patiently and I said, where did I mess up? He goes, oh, no, you didn't mess up. He said, in the 1980s, I was a Soviet soldier. And every evening, I had a radio under the pillow on my military cot. And I would turn it on real low and listen to Mark Makarov, which was the radio name, a Russian name instead of a German name, uh, would listen to him talk about Jesus Christ. And one night, I slipped out of my cot and got on my knees, and I repented. And then he pointed at a group just about this size, and he said, now I'm training up these students, these Moldovans, to take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the former Soviet Union. Now, here's the point I want to make. You never know what God's going to do when you share the message of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit with those who need a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, take Miss Eddings, the sixth grade Sunday school teacher. David Cowan came to Christ, grew up, and he's a professor at Georgia Tech, and he has a ministry to international students. He led me to Christ. I have the huge privilege of serving as a president of a Christian university that educates people from a biblical worldview so they can go out and impact the nations with the message of Christ. I had the privilege of leading John to Christ. John is now the headmaster of a Christian school in a state named Georgia in the States. He leads Mark McCarroff, Eugene Grossman, he leads both of them uh, to Christ. And he goes has three evangelistic radio broadcasts, translated a lot of Josh McDowell's books into Russian, and whenever Billy Graham would preach, he would be the translator to be translating into Russian. He, through one of his broadcasts, leads Fyodor to Christ, and this Fyodor, the last I heard, he left Moldova, went to St. Petersburg, Russia, and was the president of the Bible College there. So you have... Bible college president, Bible college president, big-time translator, headmaster of a Christian school. She has no clue. She, well, she probably has a clue now because she's with the Lord. But you never know what God's going to do. And this morning, what I'd like to talk about is how we become more effective now that we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as biblical Christians. How do we share this good news of Jesus Christ with people who need to hear, particularly cultural Christians because our churches are filled with cultural Christians. But before I do, let's review where we've been so far. On Tuesday, it was foundational. We talked about three types of Christians. We said they're biblical Christians, they're cultural Christians, and they're typical Christians. We focused on the biblical Christians, and we said biblical Christians range in terms of maturity, from immature to mature. And I gave you this little chart and said, this little graph, and said, let's go to the next one there. Thank you, Matt. And said that maturity is a function of growth. 
So you think of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. I use that verse and said, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And respect to salvation is not... It's not one aspect, there's two dimensions. There's getting closer to God and it's getting further from sin. It's, it's wanting to have, be intimately related to the Father as well as to closely imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, speaking of like newborn babes, I was thinking, you know, sometimes new Christians, it can be very messy. I think of the first time we were told, I, I think I told you earlier the first day, that we were told we'd never have children. We finally had David on December the 6th and... So we were so excited, but he came early. He was in neonatal care for two weeks. So the first time I ever got to hold him, I just broke out crying because I'd been praying for, for literally months and months and months that God would give us a little baby. Then thought we we're going to lose the little baby. So now I'm finally getting to touch and hold the little baby. And just all the emotion just broke out into my eyes. Well, we were exhausted because it's been such a stressful time. So Debbie's parents lived 30 minutes away. They said, why don't you come stay with us? We'll take care of you while you take care of the baby. So uh, we said, that's a deal. Well, the first night we're asleep, and about 1 a.m., David wakes up and he's crying. So, so being the wonderful husband and father that I am, I rolled over and shook Debbie and, <laughs> and said, David's crying, and she doesn't move. So I shake her a little harder. You know, do you need to go take care of this? Because I'm terrified. All I could think. I, I knew when they're crying, it's usually one end or the other, right? So and I didn't know how to do either. So she's so exhausted, she does not even wake up. So I get out of bed and I start praying, oh, God, please, 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 let it be a bottle. So I go to the refrigerator or whatever I did. I don't remember. I got the bottle. I do remember this. When I stuck it in his mouth, he kept crying. So then my prayers went, oh, God, make it number one, not number two. Make it number one, not number two. Well, I pulled off his little britches. I was shocked how such a little bitty premature <laughs> human being could make such a gigantic mess. I'm like, no way. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, how do, I, how do I clean it up? So I start looking around, and, and I've never cleaned a diaper before. I've never cleaned one since. But I looked around, and, and, I, and I saw this bag of cotton balls. I went, well, that's got to be it. So I grabbed his legs, and I hiked him up like that, and I grabbed a little cotton ball, and... Well, I went to town, and I'd grab another one. 36 cotton balls. I patched him back up. Collapsed in the bed. I mean, this parenting is so exhausting. Next morning, I wake up later than Deb, which is very unusual. And I'm, I mean, I had such a rough night, and... I walk around the corner, and Debbie, I see her just, just the timing. She throws her hands up. She that's how this, ah! And so we've been through this traumatic thing. I'm thinking, oh no, what's wrong with David? And I said, and that's what I said. I said, Deb, what's wrong? She said, David, he has a fungus. 
I went, a fungus? How does a kid get a fungus? You, you know, I mean, we live, we live in, in the modern world. How does a little baby get a fungus? So I go running over. I said, where's the fungus? And she, look, it's right there. And his little bottom was covered with this white fungus. And I'm like, oh, no, this is terrible. And then it hit me. It wasn't a fungus. It was fuzz. And it kind of, I, I obviously didn't clean it as well as I thought I did. So, What does this have to do with anything? All right, so like newborn babes, sometimes when we disciple people, it is messy. All right, so that was the first day. Second day, yesterday, Wednesday, we talked about typical Christians. That we, we, we long to be growing in spiritual maturity, getting closer to God and further from sin, intimacy with Him, imitating Him. But we, you know, if we're honest, we spend most of our time as typical Christians. So we say we must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Step number one, I must live my life for Christ, confess my sin, keep Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And step number two, I must let him live his life through me in the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's not a matter of me trying to be a good Christian. It's a matter of his Holy Spirit filling me and controlling me and giving me the desire and the power to live the life that honors God. So today, I want us to look at cultural Christians. And how can you and I help them cross over into a right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we need to learn to be effective in this because we can mess things up. Now, let me illustrate this with this little video. This is a lady told that she needed to oil her car. Sometimes if we don't, if we're not equipped and taught how to properly oil cars or share the gospel, we can make a mess of things. I wonder if you were American or Canadian. No, we won't go there. All right, so, all right. I, I, definitely American. All right. <clears throat> I want you to turn or scroll on your phones. There's an app that has page turning turn on that app because I love to hear those pages turn and I want us to look at three questions that Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29 answers about evangelism question number one what do we share question number two with whom do we share question number three how do we share so question number one these verses say and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every single man complete in Christ. Verse 29, for this purpose also we labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within us. So, number one, what do we share? Verse 28, we proclaim him, Jesus. It's a very simple message. All right, so remember, Miss Eddings led David Callan to Christ. David Callan led me to Christ. Here's a picture of me with my mother. She's dying of cancer. The, the moment it was diagnosed, she was dead in 95 days. I would drive back and forth to Atlanta on the weekends to spend time with her. Here's a picture of me ministering to her. Uh, ever since I've been a little boy, if you rub my hair, I just fall quickly to sleep. 
As a matter of fact, um, my little girls would uh, we'd put them to bed, kiss, hug, sing, and pray. I'd go in the den with Deb. I'd hear them in there giggling, and I would come down the hallway. And this is every single night. I'd open the door with the light behind me, and they'd scream, and they'd jump in bed, and then they'd go, can we rub your hair? <laughs> and I'd say, all right, just for a minute. And I'd pass out for about five minutes, and then I'd wake up, and they'd be in the floor playing. I'd go, what are you doing? They'd squeal, and they'd jump back in bed. And then that was the real end of the evening. So my mother, I had the privilege of leading her to Christ when I was a non-Christian. She was in the hospital. I was at, at college. She called me up. The hospital was just, just a couple, three miles from the school. And she said, Bill, how do I know if I'm going to heaven or hell if I die during this operation? And I'm like, I have no clue. I mean, why are you asking me? I think because I was the first one to go to college. I said, listen, you know, I don't really don't know, but there are these guys, David Cowell is one of them, there were three of them, that keep reading this little yellow booklet to me. It was called The Four Spiritual Laws. And I had like a whole stack in my drawer. And I said, let me bring it to you and read it to you. So I went to the hospital and it says, Mom, uh, law number one, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. She goes, really? I said, yes, ma'am. Law number two, you're sinful and separated from him. She goes, I know that. I said, law number three, it says Jesus Christ died for your sin. Really? Yes, ma'am. Law number four says it's not enough to know that Jesus died for your sins, but you must invite him to come into your heart to forgive your sins, give you the free gift of eternal life. How do I do that? Hang on. <laughs> he says, you need to pray this prayer. What prayer? And I said, dear God. And she said, dear God. I read the prayer, and she repeated as I read it. And she changed just like that, which is very huge motivation for me to give my life to Christ about a month later. So I want, you, I want you to know something right off the bat from just that little story. It's not the messengers. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So, when she realized she was dying of cancer, she had never shared her faith, but the time she realized she was dying with cancer, she immediately went to her 72-year-old sister here, in this picture, and she shared Christ with her, and she prayed to receive Christ. She went down so quickly, she called me and my dad in, and my dad had just prayed to receive Christ. 23 years to the date, March 24th, that I had prayed to receive Christ. So now my dad's this brand new Christian, and he call, she calls my dad and me to the, t to the bed, and she says, I'm too weak now to share the gospel with any of the rest of the family, with the rest of the family members. Will you two lead the rest of the family to Christ? Just huge expectation. So my dad goes, all right. Now my dad had an 11th, grade 11 education. And he goes to my uncle here on the, that's where I shared the gospel with my dad uh, using John 3.16. Uh, I found it in his Bible after he died. And so my uncle on the right. Now my uncle was a world, he's dead now, but he's a world famous nuclear physicist, lifelong atheist. My grade 11 educated dad, brand new Christian, goes to my lifelong atheist brilliant uncle and he says, you're just stupid if you don't believe in God. <laughs> then he calls me up and he says, son, you think that'll get him? 
I said, no, sir, I don't. And you need to be more subtle. So he, my, my uncle was dying at the same time my mom was, and my dad was bringing back from chemotherapy, and they were going down an interstate, and he says, you know, Richard, as brother-in-laws, we're going to be buried beside each other. And from the looks of things, you're going to die first. <laughs> subtle, right? And he says, when you die, the first thing I'm going to do when the grave's dug, I'm going to go buy a big sheet of tin and put it between our graves and use it for a heat shield because when you die, you're going to hell. <laughs> he called me up and says, you think that'll get him? I said, no, sir, I don't. I'm going to come home and help. <laughs> so I came home, shared the gospel. My, my uncle he said, would you pray for me? And I said, that's real strange coming from a lifelong atheist. And this is actually the second conversation. And he said, would you come home the next weekend after I shared the gospel with him? I came the next weekend. He said, would you pray for me? So I said, strange coming from an atheist. And he said, since you left me last week, I'm totally convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I also want you to know that the pain on the inside is much greater than the pain on the outside, meaning the conviction he was under was much greater than the pain he was suffering from his cancer. He said, will you pray for me? And I said, yes, sir. And I said, dear Father God. And he screamed out, oh, God, would you save me? And he was changed just like that. He cried for 45 minutes. My dad came in. My dad was crying. I was crying. And then my, my, grand my uncle finally composed himself. He looked at me. He says, will you tell my children there is a God? All their lives I've told them there is no God. So I had the privilege of leading that cousin to Christ. And since I've been here, I texted my female cousin, his sister, with a book I wanted to read. It's a Christian book. It's the first one she's ever agreed to read. So if you'd pray for her. So here, here's the point I'm trying to make. You never know what God will do when you share the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with those who need a relationship with the Father. Well, let's look at with whom do we share. It says that we may present every man complete in Christ. Every man. This is a picture here of... Um, in our country, we have a Supreme Court, and each of our 50 states also has a Supreme Court. And this fellow here is receiving the highest award from our government. That's the governor, state government. Um, the fellow with the grayish hair is um, one of our Supreme Court justices, and he's receiving this award from the governor, and I was there. I have a ministry to some of the political leaders in our state, and I asked him if he wanted to be a part of a discipleship group I said but if you're gonna be a part of this group you need to share your faith and he says son with my position I can't share the gospel he was holding his Bible and I said may I see your Bible and I went kind of flipped through it and I said where in your Bible does it say you're not supposed to share the gospel and I immediately thought what are you doing? If you ever get in trouble, he's going to send you to prison for like ever. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, well argued, son. I'll share my faith. So <laughs> he started, anytime I had the chance to share the gospel with an attorney, I would always bring him with me. It was just a little bit of leverage for an attorney to have a Supreme Court justice there. And <laughs> I, I, it was kind of cheating, but it, it really worked. So so every time I'd say, do you want to share the gospel? You want me to. He says, you do it one more time. You do it one more time. You do it one more time. So one night we're at this Greek restaurant about to meet with this 
next fellow here, um, he's an attorney. And so walking, he says, I'm going to share the gospel tonight. And so he used John 3.16 to share the gospel. Ask Bill Metzger if anything was keeping him from crossing over into a right relationship with God. He said, I want to go home tonight, and I want to share this with my wife, and I want the two of us to cross over together. He went home that night. He's an attorney. His wife's an attorney. For some reason, they got in an argument before he could share the gospel. And when two attorneys get in arguments, it doesn't get over very quickly. So it was several days later he could share the gospel with her. They both prayed. The next year, he's playing golf, or the next few months, he's playing golf with this next guy. And uh, at the golf, this is annual tournament, and this guy's also named Bill. His name's Bill Short. And he says to Bill Metzger, he says, he says, you're different than you were last year. I mean, last year, every hole, you were cussing from the, we teed off to we put it in. And he says, and you're not drinking like you did last year at all. He says, I'm changed. He shared the gospel. Bill Metzger shared the gospel with Bill Short. And Bill Short then led his wife Sally to Christ. And look at this next slide. Not only did he lead Sally to Christ, he led a businessman named Chuck to Christ. Chuck then led his brother Russell, who's also an attorney, led him to Christ. Bill also led George to Christ, a businessman. George went home and led his wife Beth to Christ. And I share that to say, just make one point this morning. You never know what God's going to do when you share the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with those who need a relationship with the Father. All right, so, but here's the point. How do we share? Verse 29. Striving according to His power, which mightily works within us. As biblical Christians, we can tap in to the power source. And so when we're sharing, we're not sharing in our power, but in His power. This is a picture out of uh, a former prayer book. I start over each year. And you see all these little dates. I was meeting with a group of uh, students at our school, and I challenged them to pray for three unbelieving friends, cultural Christians, or atheist or whatever and see if they could pray for that those three friends every day for 21 days in a row and since I asked them to do it I wanted to do it myself and so this is a little map of the two cul-de-sacs in my neighborhood my cul-de-sac is the one on the left and there's another one on the right and so when somebody would pray to receive Christ I would just put a little x there and then I would be praying for the other neighbors that didn't know the Lord and so <clears throat> And this is when we first moved there. And, and one day the, the lady, the wife, let's put this picture up. This is, this is my next door neighbor. And it's the only picture I had of him. So uh, he's the one with the hat. And <laughs> so his wife said one day in the front yard, she said, oh, you know a lot about the Bible. I don't know anything about the Bible. Now, one of the things I will do when a non-Christian friend makes a comment like that, I'll go and write it in my prayer book, and as I'm praying for them, it helps me remember that comment, so the next time I'm with them, I use their comment to bring up the conversation about the Lord. So a couple weeks later, we're out in the front yard, and I said, you know, Jill, you mentioned that you and Angel don't know much about the Bible. Um, I can explain the whole Bible to you in about 15 minutes. Would you like to hear it? 
They looked at each other and they went, yeah. So I went inside their home and I shared the gospel using one verse of scripture, John 3, 16, and asked them, did they see anything keeping them from crossing over? And they prayed to receive Christ. I got to watch both of them be baptized. I mean, you never, you never know what God's going to do and what God's going to do. It's not what we do. It's what God's going to do when we share the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with people who need the Father. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 answers these three questions. And it's a powerful two little verses. What do we share? With whom do we share? And how do we share? So here's my definition, taking those three answers and putting them together. This is my definition of evangelism. Sharing the message of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with those who need the Father. And when we do that, you never, ever know what God's going to do. And we proclaim Him to every man that we may present every man complete in Christ, striving according to His power, which mightily works within us. So let me summarize the week with our first chart. Let's start over here at typical Christians. Don't stay there. Open up your life to the Spirit. Every day, take those steps. Be refilled with His Spirit. So He can give you the desire and the power to be the person He wants you to be. And you can grow in spiritual maturity. Biblical Christians. Grow both in intimacy and in imitation. But don't keep it for yourself. But see those cultural Christians. I shared illustrations from, from family, from work, from neighborhoods. And the pressure's not on you. First person I led to Christ, right? My mother. I've been a Christian how long? Negative 30 days. I wonder what Miss Eddings thinks. Think of Mark, think of Mark, think of Mark. Okay. <clears throat> it works. Let's pray. Now, Father, I, I want to pack up every single one of these students and take them home with me. And Lord, I, I actually thought about that when I saw that bus out there and Father, in the, in the name of Jesus, would you capture every heart in this room? May they walk. of your spirit may they grow like newborn babes into the fullness 
of your image. May they constantly, consciously have communion with Christ. And Father, may they proclaim Jesus in the power of your Holy Spirit to every man, woman, and child so they might have an opportunity to hear, understand, and accept or reject the message of salvation for which we are eternally grateful and indebted. Oh, Lord. Use these students.